This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as we find it in the Ninth Commandment as the Church confesses this Gospel in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 43, it's page 557, the Book of Praise, Lord's Day 43. So the ninth commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The church confesses what is required in the ninth commandment. I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, being a part of the body of Christ, those redeemed in the blood of Christ, and those who know the way to escape eternal judgment in Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to our neighbor. You can imagine a picture, you can imagine if hundreds of families are, are, are fleeing from a forest fire, like we saw last year, and on their way out of this desire to escape the fire, they come to a fork in the road. Now, if you are there and if you know which of the two ways to take in order to escape the fire, wouldn't you have an obligation to tell the truth? Wouldn't you want to tell the truth to people to save them? You see, if you told a lie and told people to go the wrong way, your deception, your lie, would hurt them, would lead them away from safety, from life. Well, the passages that we read today are showing us how lies can damage another person. The ninth commandment takes a starting point from the court system. A false witness who tells a lie about another person who's being accused or perhaps a witness, either to condemn the innocent or to free the guilty, that that lie can ruin the lives of many people. Or in a a community setting, like a close-knit neighborhood or a school, Gossip or slander can ruin a person's self-esteem. Some cases even cause mental and physical illness. It's not surprising that James really warns us about the danger of the tongue and how you can use it in in a bad way. In a church setting where our worship, our families, our work are completely dependent on the revelation of God's, uh, the truth in God's word, which is also spoken by his servants, a false prophet 
a deceitful promise, a lie, a rash condemnation can keep a person from ever understanding the beautiful gospel of the only way to salvation in Jesus Christ. That helps us understand the punishment that Ananias and Sapphira received for lying to the church of God about the offering they presented. And when we read this chapter, like the people who were there at the time, we find it actually quite frightening. How can we survive if, if God considers lying an abomination, if he hates it so much? What a blessing it is to know the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. God has told us that he is powerful and that when our eyes are looking to Jesus Christ and to his word and we embrace him as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit transforms our speech. In Christ and in the revelation of his name in the scriptures, we have the rock-solid truth as a starting point, a baseline by which we can judge every word that, that we speak or hear. The truth revealed to us, believers, it's a blessing of the redeemed life that can be used to save the innocent, to call the guilty to repentance. The Lord our God defends this blessing in Christ with the ninth commandment. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. In Christ, we know the truth of God's love for undeserving sinners. We'll see the ugly truth about who we are, so why we lie. The glorious truth about who Christ is, why we don't need to lie. And thirdly, the celebration of the truth for those who are in Christ, why we don't want to lie. Brothers and sisters, we live in a society that puts a lot of pressure on being and looking a certain way. Everywhere you look, people praise the qualities of strength, resiliency, ambition, confidence, joy, finding solutions. And the pressure that we feel from parents, or peers, or partners can be quite overwhelming because expectations of society and often even our own expectations for ourselves, they, they generally go beyond the reality of what any person is able to do. All the newspapers and magazines praise the virtues of people who overcome. The heroes in movies and books are always in control. Most of my friends on Facebook are careful to only post the good and happy things in their lives. Most of us love to hear these stories that give hope and joy. That's a, 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 the value of social media, sharing these, these joys in our lives. But as we look at that, we also have to realize and recognize that they do not reflect the full reality for anyone, anywhere. Hero stories. The Captain Americas and the, the Supermen and Spidermans. They're a highlight reel of a huge group of people who are scattered throughout the world 
They're mixed in with the imaginations of authors and directors. They were never meant to be used as a standard by which to compare your own life. And yet even though a moment of reflection, it doesn't take us long to realize there is no such thing as a, as a Mr. Facebook or a Mr. Hollywood or Mrs. Instagram with their great lives. And we know that in reflecting that none of this media is able to portray the complete truth about life as we read it in the Bible, how many people still use this random collection of information and pictures and vacations and victories and dreams as a guide as to what their life should look like or what they would like their life to look like. You see, brothers and sisters, in this way, unrealistic expectations about body shape, about success, about strength and happiness. They turn into an oppressive denial of the fall into sin and the utter need of man that when accepted as the truth, they actually create an illusion that is, that is built on lies and supported by the scaffolding of false accusations and twisted words and gossip and slander. Every one of us is under incredible pressure each day to deceive others. Ananias and Sapphira saw Barnabas bringing all that money and laying it at the apostles' feet. But that pressure on why else would they lie but what about their offering? Have you ever thought about what a lie is? Simply hiding the truth. We know believe or feel one thing and we speak or act in such a way that the other person is deceived to think something different. And although there is a time and place for everything, the part of wisdom is knowing what to say and to whom to say it so that not all withholding of information about ourselves is, is always bad all the time. The problem is when we refuse to confess our sins, our weaknesses to God, to ourselves, and to our loved ones, and try to live our life putting up a, a false front to everyone we meet, even those who are near to us, even to God himself. When we have that mindset, I, I cannot be as, as bad as all that. And in the vain hope that, that we can make it on our own strength, like all those other people we see in the movies, on social media, and sitting around us in church so nicely, dressed and so nicely put together, we do everything we can to, to shut the mouths of, of naysayers, even if it means we need to lie. The pressure is immense. And when we fail to recognize the fall into sin and its consequences, when we use all our energy to fight against the ugly truth of our own weaknesses, rather than to flop down in weakness before the throne of our gracious Father, then we will find ourselves very tempted to embrace the lie. 
Although Lord's Day 42, the cat, in Lord's Day 42, the catechism refers to lies that are used to get richer here on earth. Lord's Day 43 touches on a, a clear list of the different kinds of deception that people often use to hide the ugly truth about their own weaknesses. When confronted directly about a sin or a weakness, we have this urge to just deny everything in an outright lie. But often we've found ways to be more subtle. It's this attempt to lie gracefully that leads people to twist other people's words so that we will come out looking better. This urge to protect our own reputation leads people to give false testimony against their neighbor, betraying trust, making someone else to be guilty rather than us. This doesn't only happen in the big court cases of our land. However, it's a very common infection in any group of people who know each other well. And we can think of the church. You could think of the school. The infection, the temptation to spread rumors about another person just so that we will look better. It's so satisfying for a selfish heart to tell the world how you are better than the next person or how they are worse than you are. The problem is that this gossip takes off like wildfire, especially in a judgmental context where people really make the opinions of others their God and spend more time looking at others than at their own hearts. If someone's success makes us look like more of a failure, our sinful hearts really desire to, to cut them down with our words. If someone's head rises above the rest, we have this urge to, to cut it off. And so negative suggestions turn into gossip, which turns into slander. In a judgmental society, the classic strategy of a sinner in denial, who often happens to have an amazing memory of all the failures of those around them, the classic strategy will be to spend his time pointing out the weaknesses in others so that he never has to deal with the weakness in himself. He's very quick to point out when someone loses the cover a little bit and some of the, the ugly truth kind of peeks out of their, 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 their veil they've set up. He says, well, look at that. No, I'm not so bad anymore, am I? These failures and worst case scenarios are used to manipulate and to blackmail others, keeping them down so that they can't say anything against the person himself. We see this very often in extreme cases of addiction, of denial. But it is really just exposing a temptation that we all face, even in our families, between brothers and sisters, in our schools and churches. And brothers and sisters, as we think about the judgments, about the condemnation, about the name-calling, 
about the self-promotion and the bragging and the impatience with others that keep, seem to keep sliding into our lives over and over again as we attempt to hide the truth that we are but weak vessels, we realize how much we need the ninth commandment. A web of lies seems to hide the truth, but it is a lie. It is a web. It's transparent in the eyes of God and his word. And you know that every Sunday when you sincerely stop and pay attention to the words of the Ten Commandments, every Sunday, again, we are made to face it. This is who you are, an undeserving sinner. The Lord's word shines in our midst. We confess, Lord, we are weak. You lie because you don't want to be weak. But you need to know, and the ninth commandment tells us, that this decision to lie can lead you and others you deceive away from the only way to escape this sinfulness and this judgment. And that only way is found in Christ alone. So I proclaim also the glorious truth of who Christ is, why we don't need to lie. You don't need to lie, brothers and sisters, because God does not despise weakness. At one point in our confession, the Belgian Confession, Article 26, we even say very plainly, it's our confession, that when God sent his son to save us, he knew very well that we were sinners. Lying in order to hide your weaknesses before the almighty sovereign God is about as useful as a child trying to hide himself behind his hands or a man trying to hide himself behind a glass door. God can plainly see everything you did. He knows everything you are. And lying to anyone who has read the truth of scriptures in order to make them think that you are special or, or nearly perfect, it's, it's about as useful as trying to hold water in a sieve. The Bible makes it clear that before the holy God, we are all undeserving sinners. And so no one believes the false front that we put on when we try to gossip or put others down or repeat how great we are. And when we stop and think about it, we all know the power of sin and the sinful nature and the temptations that fill our minds and the weaknesses that we have. And that is why everyone in the church is here. We are seeking a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. As part of the body of Christ, I can talk about my weaknesses with others just like Paul does in his letter to the Corinthians. He, in fact, boasts in his weakness because it brings glory to Jesus Christ. The glorious message of the gospel is that I have peace with God in Christ 
and not because I'm so good, but because of the satisfaction and the righteousness and the holiness of my Savior and my Lord. So why would I spend so much time trying to convince others that I am so good? If God is the only one who counts and he knows who I am, and he gave me the way to eternal life in his Son, wouldn't it be easier and more in accordance with the gospel to confess my weakness and run to Christ? And the same is when we look to others. We see sins in others, we see weaknesses. Sometimes we feel the urge to lie to them, to say nothing. Silence is deadly. Sometimes we feel the urge to lie to them, tell them it's, it's okay to protect them from being offended. But when there is something potentially embarrassing about them that they can easily remove, are we actually helping save them from embarrassment by not mentioning it? If I have a little bit of broccoli in my teeth, or if you notice a little bit of dirt on my shirt, I'd want you to tell me because it's something that can be removed. Now, if I'm missing an arm, since I can't do anything about it, probably already know about it, it's better just to accept and realize that this is who I am and accept the difference. God can display his, his mercy in that. But we're talking about a, a temporary condition, the gospel message that we believe and proclaim is that sinfulness does not need to be a permanent condition like a missing arm. It is like dirt that can be removed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel, the truth, the way. And so Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, as you're working and living in community together as believers, speak the truth in love. Point to Jesus Christ who forgives sins. He came exactly for that purpose. God shows his love to undeserving sinners, dirty people. And he washes in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Everyone who sees, who knows, who confesses their sins. And we as believers really don't need to lie about ourselves or others to, to try to make ourselves look better, try to create some sort of fairy tale world for ourselves. We believe in Jesus Christ, and this faith in His work sets us free from the danger of being manipulated and controlled and threatened by others. We saw that a little bit in the reading in Proverbs 12. Someone says, you're, you're, you're a sinner. You could say it is true. But it doesn't depend on me. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're, you're weak. You're so weak. You're not a good mom. I'm a sinner. I'm a weak sinner. I rely on the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't need to earn our salvation through our perfection because Christ has already been perfect for us and in our place. 
We also do not show love when we lie to others to make them think that they don't really need Jesus Christ, that they're okay without him. It's like that person saying, here, take the road that doesn't lead to life. The lie cuts the Savior, Jesus Christ, out. It misleads creatures. Christ Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. So we don't need to lie. Then you see why the catechism is so strong. It says that lying is the devil's own work. You can see why. Shutting the way to Christ out. The devil is behind the false prophets who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace, who call good bad and bad good. The devil's behind the teenager who, who breaks a secret and tells the class about a secret struggle that another person has just to put the other person down and to, to lift themselves up, to look better and more attractive. He's behind it when that story is true. It's called gossip. And he's behind it when that story is false. That's called slander. The devil is behind the woman who makes herself look a little better by twisting the facts just a little bit. And he's pleased when a man refuses to call a brother to repent when he sees his sins. Why are all lying and deceit considered the devil's own works? Because a Christian who belongs to Jesus Christ, who throws himself on Christ's mercy, does not need lies and deceit. We already have perfection in Christ. And so we will hate lies and deceit because they hide the gospel of Christ in whom we can have the, that very thing we are looking for, affirmation, being received, being a part The ninth commandment reminds us that we are pure and clean completely in Jesus Christ. It's a declaration of the good news. The truth of the gospel will set us free from all illusions. We can speak the truth, brothers and sisters, with a, with a newfound freedom in Christ. I struggle against my many sins and my weaknesses and the temptations of this world. And I know that you don't have it all together either. Praise be to God that our entire salvation rests completely on all the work of Jesus Christ. And that whoever believes in Jesus Christ is declared innocent. He's justified. And I went into the catechism class this Tuesday afternoon. I saw that on the, on the board, just justified and behind the explanation, just as if I'd not sinned. And that's how he sees us. The ugly truth is undeniable, but the truth of Christ's work is that I'm made clean. Now we can see. Now we can celebrate the truth. Considering all that Christ has done, and how important it is for us to know who we are and who Christ Jesus is. The ninth commandment says, don't lie. Tell the truth. Deal with it in Christ who forgives our confessed sins. It's so liberating to live in Christ. To live in God's grace and not as slaves to the opinions of those who do not have that same mercy.
The ninth commandment then urges us to celebrate the privilege of the redeemed life in Christ and allow honesty and love to grow in our hearts and lives like a healthy plant. Now we don't come condemning and judging those around us and and snickering when they fail or fall and and telling others about the weakness. Now we, we talk about the work of Jesus Christ that transforms that person. Now we talk about the purity of life they have in Christ. Proverbs makes it very clear on several occasions that when we speak the truth, we are a much better friend and a better support to those around us. Proverbs 12, verse 6 tells us that the mouth of the upright delivers. And we see this both in giving faithful testimony and in being honest in discipline and reproof. We confess that in court and everywhere else, we will love the truth. We will speak and confess it honestly because the truth is that God loves undeserving sinners who believe in him. Just like it is a blessing to hear the doctor's confirmation of exactly what our illness is, no matter how serious it is, So it's also a blessing when the truth of a situation is confessed or exposed and and put on the table, no matter how ugly it may be. When we know what is going on, we can explain the pain. We can clearly see the consequences. We can bring it before Christ and we can have the forgiveness of our sins, renewal in him. Proverbs 12 teaches us that the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, turning away wrath. 15 verse 2, commending knowledge. Truthful lips endure, because when we are faithful in what we say, we delight the Lord. When we start with the truth in Christ, we have peace, brothers and sisters. We have confidence. It does not depend on our perfection but on his love. And now instead of breaking others down with our words, with gossip, with slander, or even with flattery, transformed in Christ, and with our eyes on him, we'll begin to look around and see the transformation that Christ brings to the lives of those around us. We will begin to celebrate that instead. We will compliment others about their victories, Because we know it's a compliment of the power of Christ. We will seek to to lift them up because we know that in lifting up our neighbor and pointing to the the grace of God in their lives that that God is glorified. We praise God for the faithfulness, for the perseverance, for the loyalty of others because we know that it's God's work. And you will find, brothers and sisters, that the more that you praise and you lift up others, that you celebrate the work of God in their lives, also the more joyful and grateful you will be in your life. It's not lifting one up by putting another down, but lifting up the other, and you too are lifted up as you celebrate God's grace. The ninth commandment reminds you of this privilege. To be the best, you do not need to be better than others. So you don't need to gossip and slander. 
but you need to be united to the perfect one, Jesus Christ, to be the best. You do not need to be better than others, but you need to be united to the perfect one, Jesus Christ. In him, you and your neighbor can be lifted up together because God loves undeserving sinners that trust completely in Christ, that confess their sins, their weaknesses to him, and rely on his eternal grace. Let us celebrate this truth by using our mouths to proclaim the love and the glory of God to build each other up. Amen.